Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 19, verse 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Some men are full of anger. They have a chip on their shoulder. You can set them off at the slightest provocation. Their fuse is short. That kind of man is the kind of man our proverb is talking about. And the simple truth is that that kind of man has a day of reckoning on the horizon. He will suffer punishment because even if you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. In other words, he knows how to get himself back into trouble and he will do it again. Why is that? Men of great wrath are highly motivated people. Usually they've been wronged or slighted unjustly. They view themselves as victims and they justify their outrage because of the wrong that they have endured. Their focus is inward and thus they do not accurately discern reality. This results in inappropriate anger, inordinate rage, and much damage. They hurt themselves, they hurt their relationships, they hurt property, and they hurt other people. They need to suffer punishment, which is just because of their inordinate rage. They need to suffer punishment because it's the only thing that will shake them out of their blind stupor. They're like a hysteric who needs to be slapped so they don't hurt themselves. This has at least three applications. First, you're wasting your time if you interfere between the man of great wrath and his just deserts. The temptation to do this can be strong because he may be truly a victim of circumstances. Empathy for him can be very real and strong. But God teaches us that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Vigilante justice is wicked and ungodly human wrath is not the answer. Intervening is a problem because it is likely that he may turn on you and you will find yourself the victim of his rage. And if that's not the case, at least the fines you paid on his behalf were wasted because it's only a matter of time till he needs you to bail him out again. The second application is don't be like that. Trust in God. Look to Him for deliverance and justice. Follow His prescribed ways. Know that He is sovereign and in the end He he will answer, we all answer, to Him. Unfaithful wrath will just bring punishment. If you've been wronged unjustly, how does it help you to bring further suffering on yourself by deserving it? 1 Peter 2 verse 20. What credit is it If when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And the third application is that you must teach your kids not to be like that. 
Instruct them in God's ways. Teach them self-control. And teach them patience. Instruct them in the appropriate ways of seeking justice. And point them to Christ in your own example of how to live. It's a very sad and distressing thing when parents have to let their children learn a lesson the hard way. Or in the school of hard knocks. Because they failed to teach them while the concrete was still wet. This reminds us of our needs to confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please me. Last week we concluded the first section of Ecclesiastes in which Solomon explained that from the human perspective, life under the sun is vain. In the end, men must turn to God if they desire answers. In 2 verse 26, he said, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. Today's text is the beginning of the second section of Ecclesiastes, in which Solomon is arguing for the sovereignty of God over everything. And today's text in particular is Solomon's confession of faith. Verses 1 to 8 poetically pronounce that everything under the sun is subject to time and circumstance. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Verses 9 to 13 place man square in the middle of time, subject to God's directions. Verses 9 to 11, the God-given task and the desire that man has for knowledge, the eternity that is in his heart, and, his impo and the impossibility of figuring out everything that God does. Man is stuck in time, and yet he's blessed by God's good gifts, food and drink and joy are the gifts of God, verses 12 and 13. In verses 14 and 15, Solomon proclaims God's sovereignty over time directly. God is not subject to time. Verse 14, whatever God does, it shall be a bee forever. Time does not wipe it away. God is sovereign over time. His purpose in this is declared. Why is God sovereign, sovereign over time? God created time, the end of verse 14, that men should fear before him. We live in time. Time dictates our lives. And God designed it that way so that we learn that God dictates our lives. In time, God is teaching us to fear him. And God is sovereign over time because he will judge time. Verse 15, God requires an account of what is past. And all this leads us to the conclusion that Solomon's confession is that God is sovereign over time and men are subject to time for God's glory. In verses 1 through 8, Solomon meditates on time. In his meditation on time, Solomon observes 14 pairs of opposite occurrences. And in every, every instance, he says that they are all appropriate in their own time. There is a time for being born. There's a time for dying. And when that time comes, that's what needs to happen. It's appropriate. 
Our world is structured in cycles, and everything that happens happens at set times. Time sets limits on every experience we have, from life itself, birth and death, to our work. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to pluck. There's a time to build up, and there's a time to break down. Time structures our work. Time structures our actions. There's a time to tear, and a time to sow. Time to speak up, and a time to keep silent. There's a time to love, and a time to hate. Time governs our emotions. There's a time to laugh, and there's a time to weep. There's a time to dance. A time to mourn. And time structures the things that happen to us. The time of gaining and the time of losing. We don't have control over these things. All this stuff happens in time. And we cannot change the time when it comes. We can't hold on to it any longer than it stays. No matter how hard we try. When a loved one is passing away, we want to hold on to every last second and moment that we can have with them. When the time comes for them to die, they're gone. The time has come. We cannot change the time when it comes. We can't hold on to it, and it, and it doesn't matter how hard we try. This amounts to a horrible problem for us. We lack control. Time leaves us with a problem. We don't have control over our own lives. And this is the predicament of man. Man is, is, is inextricably caught in time's wheel. You time is a wheel that's just rolling and rolling, and we're stuck in it. We can't get out of it. Another way to look at it is we're caught in the crosshairs of time. Because when the time comes, every one of us dies. And death is what makes time insurmountable. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I've seen the God-given task which the sons of men are to be with which the sons of men are to be occupied. Verses 9 and 10. Man is stuck in time. At some point in his life, every thinking man has to look around him and wrestle with this fact. God keeps us busy. He gives us preoccupations with the circumstances He places us in. Our circumstances dictate what we must do, and they're not under our control because our circumstances are driven by time. When the thinking man considers time, he sees past, present, and future. And he's left with some pretty big questions. When we look at the world around us and we consider our place in it, the first thing we see is, what's happened? And the question becomes, where did I come from? Here I am, and I'm looking around, and he looks at his past, and he says, where did I come from? Where am I in that? Then he looks at the present, and he's stuck, he's stuck with, why am I here? What's the point of all this? What's my purpose now? And when he looks at the future, he says, where is all this going? And he's left with the fact that he has no control over it. Solomon's already told us that there is no profit in the labor of men, and that our task is evil. But now in verse 11, he sheds a little more light. He, 
God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Solomon here observes that God made everything beautiful in its time. That means that when the appropriate time comes, and that thing happens, it's the right thing. The Proverbs are full of of explanations of what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to discern the times. And discerning the times means understanding what the right thing to do in the situation is. God has made everything and He orchestrates all of time. But man, our job is to find out what the right thing to do is. God has placed eternity in our hearts. Instinctively, we know that there's more to this world than what we see or what we experience. It's in our hearts. And this creates a frustrating trap that we're caught in. We're caught in time. God has put a longing in our hearts. He's put a desire for knowledge. We know that there's more to it than just this. Because if it's just this, it's fairly empty. That's It's vanity. Not only that we have this huge desire in our hearts, but God then gave us the job of searching out the work that He has done. God told man, have dominion over the earth. Search out all the things that I've done in this world. But Solomon tells us right here, he says, no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. So God gives us a yearning and a hunger for finding out His work in the world. And He gives us the world to discover and to search, but He also makes it so that it is not possible for us to accomplish the task in this life on our own. And this is a perspective problem. There was no particular order to the times listed above. It was just a time to, the time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what's planted, a time to kill and heal. It's just, it's just a cacophony of sound. From our, from our perspective, time just happens and we're stuck in it. And, and how do you figure it out? People are dying, people are being born, people are working, some people are gaining, some people are losing. And it's all confusing. It's just a bunch of noise. And it's hard to discern any rhyme or reason to all of it. But everything that happens is really God's harmony. It's a piece of music in His cosmic symphony. God has made everything beautiful in its time. God is orchestrating the world. God is telling a story. It's intricate and it's complex. He counts the very hairs on our heads. He knows what everything is that's going on. But from our perspective, it's confusing and it's, and it's evil and it's hard. It's difficult to comprehend and understand. It is hard work for us to achieve wisdom, to achieve the ability to discern the times. And yet that is what Solomon tells us is our job. 
Verses 12 and 13. I know that nothing is better for men than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Solomon starts verse 12 with the words, I know. This is not something that he has seen or he's perceived. It's something he just knows in his heart. It's a statement of faith. It's what he believes. So what does Solomon know? He says that living life to the hilt is the answer. We have a job and we cannot accomplish it. But the best thing that we can do, nothing is better for us than for us to rejoice and to do good in our lives. To eat and drink and enjoy good. Rejoice, eat, drink, and enjoy the good of your labor. God is giving this to you. Live life. Don't let it pass you by. Don't let the time slip through your fingers. Live life. Seize it. A, a grasp it. It's a gift. And this demands two things. It demands gratitude because it's a gift. And it demands faith. It demands faith because the times are uncertain from our perspective. In order for us to have gratitude, we need to be grateful to somebody. We need to believe in God. We need faith in order to rejoice in the uncertain times. The joy that God has for the wise man is a deep joy. It sustains him even in the midst of times of death and suffering. In the light of God's authority over time, God has made everything beautiful in its time, Solomon gives this command despite the seeming apathy of verses 9 and 10 and the first whole section of the book, that everything is vanity. Because God is in control, Solomon gives us the command to rejoice, eat and drink and enjoy. Wisdom is understanding the times. God has made them, and he's made them beautiful. Wisdom is seeing time with the eyes of faith. Which means that even in the hard providences, we can rejoice and have joy in God's beauty. If God is really in control of all of it, and he's writing a good story, and he's a good God, and he's benevolent, and he loves us, then we really can rejoice and enjoy all the good he gives us. If you refuse to be grateful, and if you refuse to live your life as Solomon is commanding you to here, you're beating your head against the wall. You're raging into the void. It's a pointless thing, and, it's, and what's worse, it hurts you. It's very difficult to rage, to kick against the goads like Saul did before he was converted. Wisdom means discerning what the right thing to do is and then doing it. Wisdom is swimming with the current. If the time is right, if God provides everything for it to, to happen, then it happens. Rest in God. Trust in Him. Expect Him to bless. Discern whether the time is for laughing or weeping, building up or tearing down, ripping or sowing, and doing the appropriate thing when you discern it. And that's wisdom. Don't worry about the future 
or the past. Because you can't do anything about them. You can't change the past, and you can't dictate your future. But God has it all in hand. So, rejoice in the present. Seize the time. Because God is permanent. In the introduction, I said that these three verse, that these verses, verses 14 and 15, proclaim God's sovereignty directly. And then I pointed out three things that are taught in these verses. This is 14 and 15. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. That which is has already been, and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. First, God is not subject to time. Whatever He does, it is forever. God ordains the times. He created the times. The reason that verse 1 is verse 1. To everything, there is a season. A time for every purpose on heaven. The reason that there is a season for everything. The reason that there is a time for every purpose under heaven is because God made it that way. 1 through 8 were observations. Solomon looked out at the world and he said, there's a time for this and a time for that. And there's a time for this. Here he's telling us why. Think of this verse as a commentary on verses 1 through 8. God does it. And that's why Solomon was able to observe it. It's true about the world we live in. There are appropriate times. Second, God's purpose is declared in verse 14, that men should fear before Him. Fearing God comes up at several crucial points in the argument of Ecclesiastes. It, right here in chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8, and, and finally in the conclusion of the book, in chapter 12, verse 13, is fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. So God's purpose in creating time and sticking us in it was to teach us that we should fear Him. And fearing Him is equivalent to trusting Him, having faith in Him. Jesus says, don't fear man, who has the power to send you to the grave. Fear God, who has the power to send you to the grave and to hell afterwards. God is the only real authority. All other authorities are derived from Him. The reason that men are placed in time is that God's seasons and His times instruct us about who God is and what our relationship with Him is. We can rage against His works. In fact, that's the definition of sin and foolishness. But, if we do that, we suffer the consequences of it. God ordained that too. God ordained that too. When bad things happen in our world, it's not because God is not in control. God ordains it. It happens in time, right? Well, even in rebellion, men cannot escape God's sovereignty. Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. Solomon's many wives who led him astray 
happened in time. Ahab. Ahab had was given a prophecy that said, from a, from a prophet of God, said that go to go to war and you will die. And so he went to war with Jehoshaphat, and, he, and so he told Jehoshaphat to wear his kingly robes. And Ahab said, I'm going to just dress like one of the regular soldiers. But God was in control of that too. And an arrow came out of the sky and pierced him where his armor joined. He was trying to hide from God. But you can't. Judas betrayed Jesus, the most wicked act in all of history. And God ordained that. And the conviction of our innocent Lord all happened in time. God ordained it. It's all part of His story. Men are to fear God because God is not a safe God. Not in the way that Victorian Christians like to think of Him. Cherubic angels, little babies. That's not what the angels are like. When the angels appear to people, they fall down on their faces. When God appears to people, they, woe is me. I'm a man, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what the prophets of God say when they see him. God is not safe. He prescribes a time to die, and a time to kill, and a time to break down, and a time to weep, and mourn, and lose, and tear, and throw away, and hate. And a time of war. And war is ugly. All of these things, though, work together to teach us to respect and fear God. Because God doesn't want complacency in us. God wants fervency in us. He wants us to be alive. He wants to give us life. And life is life. It's not limp-wristed. God spews out the lukewarm church in Revelation. There's nothing boring about our God. Nobody will be bored in heaven. So God puts us in time so that we learn to fear before Him. And the third thing that He does, God judges time. God requires an account of what is past. Time comes and time goes. That which is has already been. What is to be has already been. Time slips through our fingers. Try and pin time down. Every time you think you've got it. Now. Now. As soon as you say now, it's past. How do you grasp on to time? And the future is just as slippery. Everybody wants to know what the future holds. But we can't. But God does. While men are incapable of stopping or altering time, God is not. Remember, he stopped the sun during the battle between the Israelites and the Amorites. For a whole day, the sun stood still and the moon stood still. Another time, he turned the sundial backwards to prove to Hezekiah. Ten degrees, he turned the sundial backwards to prove to Hezekiah that he would deliver him from the kingdom of Assyria and that he would give him an additional 15 years of life. God intervenes in time. 
ultimately God judges time and God will judge every man who has ever lived, no matter how long ago it was or how far in the future it is, God judges them. He will separate the sheep from the goats and he will require an account of what is past because time answers to him. So God is sovereign over time. But this is the foundation of joy for us, for his people, for the man who is good in his sight. This is why we can celebrate. This is why we can enjoy. This is why we can live life to the fullest. Because the foundation of that God is sovereign is the foundation of godly, deep, and lasting and wise joy. This is where the New Testament teaching that all things work together for good to those who love God. It's the road. Solomon has given us a proclamation of faith. He's not arguing for it. He's proclaiming it. He says, this is what it is. This is what I know. This is what God has laid on my heart. I believe this. And what Solomon says is that God is in control and therefore Solomon can release his concerns. He doesn't have to worry about tomorrow. So that he can enjoy today. Because today is God's gift. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught about worrying, taught, taught us about what worry does. Matthew 6. 27 and 33 to 34. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? The answer is, of course, not nobody. You worry about it all you want. You're not going to change the past. You're not going to change the future. Don't worry about it. Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. God dresses. He, he dresses the, the, the flowers of the field. And he feeds the birds of the air. You're worth more than that. Don't worry about that. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We don't have control over time. But God does. Worry destroys our joy. Worry gets in the way of us doing our job. Our job, we have work to do. And that's, it's, it's readily available, it's clear before our eyes. And we're so good about ignoring it for things that don't matter. Like worry. Get so caught up worrying about what might happen that we end up not doing what we're supposed to do so that we're in a worse place than we would have been if we'd done what we were supposed to do. Worry destroys our joy. If we do what we're supposed to do, if we seize the time that God has given us, if we embrace it, if we love God and we love life and we love those around us, God blesses faithfulness. And He'll bless that. And you will find yourself being showered with good things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all the rest gets added to you. Don't worry about the rest. Worry about worshiping God. Worry about being right with Him. Being right before Him. Worry destroys our joy, but gratitude for the gifts that God gives us is a foundation for joy. In our text this morning, Solomon observed time 
and its authority over everything under heaven. God's purposes in time are lovely. He's teaching all of us who He is and what He wants from us. God has made everything beautiful in its time. His world is a reflection of Himself. God is writing a story. From our perspective, it looks like a pretty bad story sometimes. But that's why we need faith. Faith gives us God's perspective. It, it separates us. It takes us out of the midst of the confusion and, and gives us eyes to see God and His work in the world so that we can do what He's telling us to do despite the fact that it looks hopeless. It looks like something that we should despair about. But God expects us to enjoy it because it's a gift. No matter what it looks like, God's story is a good one. Because God is good. His story is full of adventure and danger. But ultimately, even the ugly parts conspire together to bring glory to the author. God takes sin, and He does it, and He takes evil in this world, and He uses it to tell His story. All the best stories in the world have great villains and, and great problems that are really hard to solve. It's because that's the way God made the world. We need to go into the valleys before we can appreciate the hilltops. God's writing a story. And because God is writing a story and He's in control of each and one of our lives and every aspect in it, He counts all the hairs on our heads. Fear Him. Respect Him. Trust Him. Worship Him. Ascertain and discern what He's doing. Live according to the times and seasons. And be wise and let, let the good times roll. God's given them to you. They're a gift. Enjoy them. Life on this planet is a cosmic carnival ride. But wisdom gives us the power to enjoy it. Wisdom gives us the power to enjoy the ride of life. Life is a journey. We're passing through. Time keeps passing by. But time, while we have it, is a gift. As is the ability to enjoy it. We must live life fully in the present because it is God's gift to us. Don't squander His gifts. Don't bury your talent. We cannot change the past and we do not know the future. This means that we should be grateful for the gift of the present. That's why it's called a present. Gratitude is necessary for this enjoyment and nothing is better for you than to enjoy what God has given you. In fact, that's God's command for you. For your life in this vanity is enjoyment. Be thankful to Him and enjoy it. We read in Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. All of creation is a reflection of the divine life. God transcends time. 
but time is how we relate to him. It instructs us in our transience and our dependence on him. Because we are born and we die, and we can't say when it will happen, time teaches us that we must fear God. Solomon's instruction in our text this morning can be summed up in this phrase, carpe diem. This is Latin for seize the day. God has given today to you. Enjoy it with gratitude. Enjoy this communion meal as it communicates to you God's love for you and your oneness with him and with your brethren here. Enjoy the fellowship of the saints. Enjoy God's sunlight and his snow and the nap he gives you this afternoon. Enjoy your kids and your spouse. Enjoy the bountiful food he fills your plate with. Exult in all the blessings God pours down on you and praise and worship him for his kindness and generosity to you. This table is for all who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.